Warning, this episode contains spoilers, strong language, the use of the N-word, and descriptive themes of violence. Listen to this episode at your own risk. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. I'm Christina. Today we are going to talk about the document documentary film, I Am Not Your Negro, directed by Raoul Peck. In 1979, James Baldwin wrote a letter to his literary agent describing his next project, Remember This House. The book was to be a revolutionary personal account of the lives and assassinations of three of his close friends, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. At the time of Baldwin's death in 1987, he left behind only 30 completed pages of this manuscript. Filmmaker Raoul Peck envisions the book James Baldwin never finished, and the film is narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. Warning, this episode contains spoilers. If you haven't watched the film yet, listen to this episode at your own risk. So ladies, what are your first impressions of the film? Did you love it, hate it, or was it just okay? Oh, I really liked it. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah. great. Great. I mean, I really, I really loved it as well. Um, so what, what did y'all, what did y'all love about it? Well, I think what what I loved about it the most um, is actually the the saddest part of what we're dealing with today. Um, it's that it was so honest that Baldwin's words seriously strike. Oh man, such relevant tones. I mean, what he said. I think it was at the beginning, maybe that um, the opening piece of his notes was something about. Um, looking around our country is enough to make prophets and angels weep. Um, and there's there's so much truth in the pain he was experiencing as he remembered how much he loved and sometimes butted heads with his dear friends. He really still understood that, um, you know, how this country looks at Black people had not changed and it did not matter at least it felt like to him through some of these notes, it did not matter how incredibly talented or intelligent or well-known any of these men were. Uh, there's There was a deep despair to it. And what I appreciated about the film was that they didn't try to cover over that despair. Right, right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was artistically... Um, you know, beautiful just to, to take the film in the way that it was just set up, the way the scenes flowed. And, you know, it's, it's a documentary. And I think most people who have studied some degree of, 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 of black history would be familiar with quite a few things that were discussed in the documentary. But I think it's still unraveled in a way that evoked um, emotions that felt new and raw, as well as it kind of scratched at wounds that had sort of healed over, but um, reopened. And so, you know, I'm, I'm watching this and, you know, he highlights these really these assassinations involving these three incredible figures. And, and like, we know that they've been assassinated. <laughs> like, like we know this. Right. And, and when, and, but every time the moment, um, unwraps in the documentary, I'm like, I'm getting like, I'm like, Oh, he's dead. 
Like I don't know that. Like I already right. knew that coming in. Like I know right. that. You know that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But it, it, it would unwrap in that moment. And I remember, you know, when we get to the very last death, I just, you know, it it just hit me in this way where I just began to shake my head. And I really thought about Baldwin and, and his own um his own views specific, specifically of the church and his mm-hmm. um rejection of the church despite dealing with very like deep spiritual theological themes if you listen to these, this narrative right um and how the assassination of uh dr king you know he's, he talks about it and you realize in that moment it's like they the good guy they killed this good guy like all mm-hmm. of them right all mm-hmm. of them so so talented and capable but the guy that was talking about nonviolent resistance and mm-hmm. and and not hating not hating white people but hating the principality but not the people loving the people mm-hmm. right blew him away and i think as i you know as he talked about it and not being able to cry feeling like he would flood like emotionally and not be able to stop i just think I, it almost the whole audience i felt like we just kind of swelled up into a place with that so anyway uh it was yeah it was it was a it was a great um composition uh in terms of a documentary mhm right right uh for for me i i well first of all baldwin is my love language so <laughs> <laughs> So I mean I just I I always I'm always amazed by the fact that though he uh was not a Christian he had a firm grasp on the doctrine of sin <laughs> okay I mean he really understand particularly and how it manifests itself in racism right um and anti-black violence and just how violent whiteness can be Right. Um, when when it is um, wrapped around power. Right. Um, and so that for me has always been something that was always so uh, powerful to me about Baldwin. He's just a genius, too. Um, and, and so the film for me was I, I think it was the images of of Malcolm X, just his dead body. Um, they're naked and we saw from the, from maybe the shoulders up and his mouth is open. You know, it was just like, wow, like this man is dead. Like, you know, um, and then just hearing about Medgar, you know, um, who was often, you know, kind of forgotten. And then of course, MLK and just how, how, uh, how close, um, he was, these are his aces, you know, his homies, like, I don't know. I couldn't imagine what that must have been like uh, to have experienced such trauma, you know, so very close to home. It's actually to me, I find it to be a miracle that Baldwin actually was not killed uh, for his words. And so I was like, man, how did he manage to escape? You know, uh, but, you know, he was bouncing, you know, to (laughs) the parents coming back like I'm done with y'all. Y'all tripping, you know. But I mean, I thought that was just so interesting because if they I mean, if the government wants to get you, then they'll get you. You know, they got Fred Hampton. You know what I'm saying? So that to me is just that that stood out to me because I was like, dang, James, he survived this, though. Um, And so I, I thought about that. And then I thought it was interesting and. I don't know, just to see the way that the, the director showed that really there are two, Mer- two Americas in play here. There is a Doris Day America and Joan Crawford where they are just dancing and gallivanting in these very beautiful gowns, I'll say, you know, <laughs> and just, because I was like, oh, that's cute. And, um, and, and just, <laughs> you know, prancing around, I mean, living 
in the dream, as Ta-Nehisi Coates talks about, the dream that is built on the plunder and disenfranchisement and, 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 and the body count of black people. That's the only way the dream can continue and, 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 and progress, right? Um, and, and so I thought that to me was interesting. So it's like they're, they're progressing um, while we're regressing. So there's this inverse relationship here. And that, that to me was just like so interesting uh, to me to see those things. So we know we live in two different Americas, but I, I love the way the film really said, yo, this is what's, this is really what it is. This is what was happening at the time, you know, um, that, that our people were subject to um, homegrown terroristic attacks um, that were, that were turned, you know, people that were actually sanctioned, you know, by the government and also um, done by the Ku Klux Klan. So what is it? What are we doing um, by the white moderates as well? So I thought that was, that was a big takeaway uh, for me. Um, now, I thought there was, now I do, do you all have any critiques of the film? Was there anything that you were like, eh, this could have been done better? I mean, honestly, they could have, I think they could have done some more on Medgar. I mean, obviously they were going from his notes so that that would have been a bit difficult, but there, there were uh, definite, there's definite leanings in terms of the footage. Um, not enough, I felt not enough of Medgar's story uh, in terms of just the footage they chose or even just reminding us, showing us his face over and over. We know Malcolm's face. We know Martin's face. Um, my mom just had her hair dyed the other day. She was like, I look like Malcolm X. The dad <laughs> job was too light. <laughs> we know Malcolm and Martin, it's true. And you got to know Malcolm to know Malcolm. that that was a redhead. I mean, and you have to know him. Um, and so I feel like there's so many of us who grew up knowing these two figures and even grew up knowing Medgar as well. But then there's a whole generation and a broader audience that recently woke up to the importance of these struggles. And Medgar Evers is truly a story that is worth telling. And I really, really, um, one of my loves and one of my chief pains from the film, I love that Baldwin remembered Medgar, that that really struck him. And it also pained me that there might not have actually been enough footage of him to spread through the film. Um, some people have called the movie uh, discombobulated. And I see that, I really do. But I also feel like, I think that we're being really true to Baldwin's notes. I mean, it's 30 pages of a man's raw, bitter, uh, but, but really despairing emotions. And so I think they did um, an absolutely incredible job with what probably, you know, could have easily been stream of consciousness on Baldwin's part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in that sense, it had a cathartic quality to it. Right. So I think the, the, the stream of consciousness uh, element I personally could relate to it as a viewer, right? So if you were to just to sit back and think about injustice, um, race-based uh, caste system in, in our country, what does that mean? For me, that doesn't come out as a, as a well-composed paper with a thesis statement. It comes out 
uh, discombobulated and in um, emotive at times and at times completely numb. And so <laughs> I, I, I felt like even the way that the pacing went was just, you know, someone was walking, walking with me as I went through this journey. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, so yeah, like I said, I, I, I thought it was great. I think it, I think it gave me what I needed to reflect on. I, it also, um, I've been using it in conversations with folks who I, who are just kind of stuck. Like they just, they they, they will not go there with the reality of racism in America. And, um, and for me, it's, you know, it's kind of like when I think about like a book, like divided by faith, where I say like, you know, how about you read this and then we'll talk some more. <laughs> like, I, like I feel like, and in some ways I look at this film in that way. So to people who are like, well, racism is not an issue or, you know, stop making a big deal out of it. Or what are you talking about? I'm like, okay, well just watch this and, and I'll pay for your ticket. And then, and, and then, and then we can have some more conversation because I think also the, the movie does the emotional work on my behalf that I don't have to do. Because when we talk about racism, we're talking about ourselves. And so, and a part of Western culture is that we, we denigrate people who are congruent, meaning that if your emotions match, um, if your emotions match the trauma, if your emotions match the frustration, then you're overly emotional, right? Um, and so I don't have to go through that emotional roller coaster. I can just say, just watch this documentary, like, you know, watch it and experience it. And then, um, they, they can have that experience, not, not at, um, and I don't have to bear the emotional trauma of recounting it. I'm just like, check the film. Yes, because the film does the emotional labor for us. It's so hard for us to enter into these conversations over and over again, you know, because we're reliving trauma is a living experience, you know? And so, so it's so, it's hard to do that. And so this film it, it, it immerses, you know, the person, um, in that. And so I would say, um, to, uh, piggyback off of what Michelle said, I, that's, I left the film thinking, dang, I don't feel like I know more about, I don't feel like people who didn't know about Medgar Evers learned more about him after watching that film though. I think for me, that was kind of like, ah, like, you know, <laughs> the menacing part, you know, cause I was like, dang, hasn't this been the story of his life? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I was hoping that it would um, open that up a bit more. Um, I mean, I, I guess, you know what, it does give them an introduction. That way they go and Google it, right? Um, but still, I was kind of like, dang, I felt like the, the film did come up short, I think, in that regard, uh, for me personally. Uh, but I, I think, um, and, and just to piggyback off of the um, idea that it did feel discombobulated, uh, but you know what? Racism is disorienting. Okay. It's confounding because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any logical sense. And when you're trying to make sense of it, you can actually lose your mind, you know, really trying to prove over and over again that I am a human, right? You know, Toni Morrison taught us that racism is a distraction. You have to keep telling people like, no, I am a human being and no, my, my head size is the same as yours. Like, it's like all of this stuff you have to keep proving over and over again. And that is just so dehumanizing, right? So in a sense, I think maybe Raul was going, was trying to embody that, um, you know, that stream of consciousness and that, that, that confounding nature that, that, that is racism. I don't know. Maybe that's what he was going for. I did read, um, a critique from, uh, Zen, 
Zandria, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, her website is New South uh, Negress. And the title of the the review is I Am Not Your Negress, Implied Violence in American Necrophilia. And so what I took away from her critique was that the rating uh, of the film is actually PG-13, which is surprising to me. I didn't know that <laughs> uh, for racial slurs. And it says implied violence. There's nothing implied here about the violence. It is very real. It is very literal. Um, it is visceral. It is right in your face. And so that was interesting. And she kind of makes the point how it's just like, you always have to prove like, you know, there's always this, this innocence, this innocence, white innocence, that's always presupposed. And it's like, you always have to prove over and over again, the, the very real violent toll, you know, of racism. And so, and, and you saw how, how that was, Black Death was all over this film. So it's like, how could you come up with a rating that says it's PG-13, number one? Like, no, it's not PG-13. You know, and then implied violence. So I thought that was an interesting rating. To me, the film should definitely be rated R, I think. Um, and so that was, anyways, that's a, that's a worthwhile um, uh, critique that I think people should um, definitely read. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting. I think even the clips, you know, of white America, you know, living that American dream were helpful at some points, but then sometimes confusing. I thought sometimes, cause I didn't know, I didn't always know what the point, um, Raul was pointing at sometimes, you know, like with Doris Day and Joan Crawford, I could kind of make those connections myself, but sometimes I didn't understand like, like the, the kids in the bunny suits. Did y'all, do y'all have like some insights on that? <laughs> I talked to like, what's happening? They just hopping around. Well, I got to say, I got to say, I went, I went with him. I was like, Raul, I don't know where you going, bro, but you know, <laughs> my immediate thought was, look, because you know, somebody back there labeled the help, done sewed up these bunny suits, and y'all just jumping around in them. We built all of this mess. It's native people's blood on that soil. You hopping on. But um, I don't I, I for me, at least while those clips were occurring and, you know, we've probably all heard from um, our friends who have seen the film. I don't know if that's, you know, actually getting people to give them something to point their rage at. That's what one or two of my friends have said. You know, there's a discomfort with saying, oh, no, you've built up this frustration, this bitterness, this rage. And then. Here come a little white child in a bunny suit. What can you, what does the director expect? Except that you would be angry at this blissfully blind young white person. Um, but I think it was actually a call to those who were discomforted because for some of us, it made complete sense. I'm looking at uh, people dancing, uh, people uh, living in a fantasy world. And I know that they live in a fantasy world, but do they? And so those scenes, weird as they were, were really an opportunity for the artist to say, what do you see in this? That's what all good art is. What do you see? Any art that has a 50-page explanation, I don't have time for. Just show me the art and let's dig into it from the perspective of the person who's viewing it and those uh, our white friends and even some of our black friends who would view that and say, oh, I don't like the way they made white people look confused and ignorant. I think it's worth it to say, do, do you think 
that that's what Baldwin is saying. I think that Baldwin is pointing out that we have failed to read the matrix for lack of a non-1990s illustration, but we have failed to actually pierce through the artifice of what is our everyday, everything is perfect, everything is fine kind of life. And the beautiful thing about Black heritage and even about Baldwin himself, who had an amazing smile and it would split right through some of his most uncomfortable sayings on yeah. late night talk shows yeah. and you know, even in the middle of his writings, you can feel him smiling as he spoke such deep truths. I think it's important to, to see the struggle that we experience at the same time as having really winsome and even awkward, weird, and yes, unnameable opportunities to say, what, what am I experiencing right now? What am I seeing? And what is it saying about the key themes here? Something is amiss, but we have participated in really a regime that exists to cover it up. Something is wrong, but everything around us exists to deceive us as if, like, like you said, Akimini, it's just implied violence. It's implied brokenness. But the truth is, even our acting like everything is okay is further proof that everything ain't. Everything ain't. It ain't. Everything ain't. And yeah, what, think- what, you know what? Oh yeah, go ahead, Christina. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I was gonna, you know, just this takes us back to I think your earlier point to me about um, the critique about the rating of the movie. You know, we just as a culture, we have a really high tolerance and numbness when it comes to the denigration of black bodies. It is it is so commonplace. It is so built in. It is so ingrained in the history of this country that we do not flinch. Now, so images of people being lynched, like they they disturb me to my core. Like, I mean, like I like I I won't lie to you. I close my eyes. And part of it was is because that is a person made in the image of God. But I recognize that the reason why we can see bodies and we can have bodies in the street for hours with with inattention to them, the reason why we can, um, you know, watch videos and videos and videos of unarmed black men being killed, watch watching that, um, is because there's something there's something wrong with us. <laughs> we and I'm saying I'm saying a collective we because people of color have to reject white supremacy and to re- and remember to see black people as fully human to also be outraged and disgusted as the draping of black bodies are all about us on a screen. So I think, yeah, I, I think we have to maintain this, this fierce belief that black people are made in the image of God. And it's not just white people who have to hear this. People of color, we have to know this. We have to be reminded of it. And we have to close our eyes when we see such images and think that is someone's child. That is someone made in the image of God. That's someone's spouse, um, and and that is wrong. So so that so so that critique I think ha- has real resonance. I know with me, and certainly the rating is one way um, to demonstrate a respect for those black bodies that were shown in the movie. And, and at the same time, I still believe that those images were necessary. I describe the movie as a necessary trauma. Um. Be- because I think I think when it comes to the uh, the wickedness of racism, as a nation, we're just numb. We're just numb. 
And the movie talks about, you know, um, white identity and so many words as a delusion, right? It's a, it's like that top tier of this, of this, of this caste system, but whiteness as we use it and understand it in our culture is really faux, right? It's, it's not real. It's, it's, it, it has real consequences and it takes, it takes real lives, but in and of itself, it's not real. And so as I left the movie, I thought about the importance of us, um, of this one destroying white supremacy and for my white brothers and sisters to reclaim a better identity, <laughs> to reject, to reject the faux identity Amen. of, of the white caste system mm -hmm. and instead to to understand and do the work of what it means to be a European in America. Mm -hmm. I need them to do I need them to do that work because mm -hmm. it, that work produces empathy and respect for other cultures. Whereas whiteness, as, as Baldwin's the movie highlights, right, is con continues to put us in this place of, of delusion, which is costing people their lives. Every day costing them their lives. And and so for, for me, I think I, I have to put for me, the, the I don't think the rating of the movie does um, does not. I, OK, the rating of the movie to me does not honor black lives. It dishonors it. You know, because you're saying that it's, it's PG-13, so that means it's consumable by all, right? Or, well, okay, 13 years, 13 years and up, right? And yeah. to say that there is implied violence. No, it's not implied violence. <laughs> this is violent. Right, right. This is violence. This is real life. Like, this is not an action film. This is not The Godfather. I love that movie. You know, it's not that. <laughs> this is real life, yo. The, but we then are you would have, you could also have pushback from people who would say, should we, how do we expose the next generation of people whom many parents now are trying to actively raise anti-racist? How can they use this movie uh, for their 13 or 14 year old? Is it wise, unwise? You know, because then you get into the parenting discussion because well, there yeah, are, yeah. I mean, I read Invisible Man when I was 11 and I can't tell you how many people would look at my mama sideways. Uh, however, it was very important for me to do that. Well, so. yeah, see, and that's the thing. I think that's what it is about being black, though. Like, I read Malcolm X um, autobiography for fun when I was about your age, too. Uh, well, how old are you when you're in sixth or seventh grade? I don't know. I don't have kids, so I won't be knowing. Okay, I'm like, I don't be knowing how old they are. Okay, so but I was young. I read that for fun. I read The Bluest Eye for fun. That's heavy right. stuff, yo. Right. You know, <laughs> but but I think but, see, but we're we're not we, as black people. We don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Like this is our, mm -hmm. this is our, we have to stay woke in order to stay alive. I mean, this is like our reasonable act of service. I mean, I, I really think that's the reality of of being black in America. And I think that, and I don't know. I don't have children, so I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure. I'm sure you. I mean, you guys are raising woke children, and so I mean, so I know that you guys are. You know, doing. Um, your due diligence to use wisdom on when to expose them and when not to expose them to this stuff. But I don't know. I think the rating, I just felt like, man, I just, I don't, I do not like the implied violence thing. I don't like that at all. You know, I think that that contributes, you know, to this, this 
oh, black death is normative. No, it is not. Or like, yeah, prove or it should it's not wrong. Be. Prove that right. it's wrong. That's prove what it that says. it's wrong. That's that's yeah. what it is. You know. And then now, while, while I was watching the film and I was watching these middle class white women yelling and, and kids too, yelling at Dorothy Counts as she sat there, beautiful black child sat there, and I'm thinking, yo. These people are still alive today. Are these the people that are in my mentions calling me a nigger, calling me a a negress? Are these the ones that are in my mentions? I I really wondered that. Like, you know, and are these the same ones, you know, talking, calling us, you know, um, telling us that we're for the ratchet rebellion? I'm really wondering, like, are we the ones, are they the ones that are coming at us, sending us hate mail? Are they the ones coming to our doorsteps looking for us? Like, I really, this is real. Like, people actually were witnesses to lynchings. People really were yelling at Ruby Bridges, like in real life, spitting at her, yelling just obscene things at her. So that to me was like, yo, these people are still alive, you know, and their grandchildren, we're like living among their grandchildren and their children. Like that's what's happening right now. And I think that's I don't know. I think that that for me was really a huge thing for me, you know? And so that's why white supremacy is so, it's so demonic. It is so very demonic. And uh, Christina, you brought up a good point. I mean, the fact that the thing about white supremacy is that when we're fighting against white supremacy, we're not fighting against white people. This is a power and principality. If I'm taking it outside of the sociological realm for a, a bit, you know, and white supremacy does not work unless black, um, not just black people, but people of color are complicit. Right. So we, we, you internalize this idea that, you know, white people are superior in some regard and you have to decolonize your mind. And so, and I think that this, this film will at least put a little chink you know, or try to, you know, try to, you know, get us to really see just what the toll is, you know, of this very demonic ideology that um, America has been built upon and founded upon. So that's kind of, those are my little beefs, um, you know, (laughs) with the film, (laughs) you know, and some, and and just some, some takeaways for me just to know, man, these people live among us, yo. And God willing, I hope that some have reformed and have changed. There's room at the cross and God does change people. So I don't want to act as if they were that way and they will always remain that way. That's not true. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought that to me was like, yo, these people live among us. Like, wow. Like it's crazy. So why this film at this time, y'all? Like, what what do you think? What is the value add of this movie at this time? Well, I like the way you put it, Akimini. Uh, for one thing, um, you said, look, we got to stay woke to stay alive. But I, I need our white brothers and sisters to know that they got to stay woke to keep from becoming murderers. So y'all, y'all want, we talking about staying woke and actually partaking in black heritage and black history as a piece of a greater narrative. You know, we have this thing, we say black history is U.S. history, and that's absolutely true. But black history, just like native history, just like the history of Hispanic people in this region, um, in this whole global, the whole West, I mean, it's optional. All of it is optional in this country. So I think that staying woke actually means, yeah, I got to stay woke to stay alive, but everyone around me, um, these folks participating in the artifice of white culture have to stay woke in order to not kill anyone 
or in order to not benefit from our deaths. So that's why I think it continues to be timely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's eerily relevant, right? And um, what, so a couple things stand out in the movie, right? So you're watching historical scenes of injustice and brutality, and then you get it, you, you see these slices of contemporary issues, and you, you watch it and you're like, okay, those are very similar. Feels like we're at the same, <laughs> we're at the same place again. So, so that, so that takes place, but also you hear the arguments of those who want to minimize racism and bigotry. And those arguments are still the things that we hear today. And to be even more frank, those are the arguments that we hear in white evangelical circles today. Mm. So why does it have to be about race? Why, why are you so focused on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. I, I was listening to, um, as I was listening to the movie, I was thinking like, we have heard these things before. And I would say that as I watched it, I thought about the importance of, in, of interrogating our theology and our doctrine so that we can, we can uproot um, the embedded white supremacy that is, that is in it. Okay. So it's, it's within it. And so it has to be uprooted from its, right from its core. It needs to be pulled up and looked at because you can see today how the, how the, um, how the fruit of that theology is still coming up in our conversations that we're having right now about race in the church. Like the arguments are still the same and it should freak people out that today in 2017, you have an argument that's similar to what someone had in, in 1950 or in 1960 to justify segregation. It should freak you out that your argument today is similar to those who gave a blind eye to lynchings. It's, your argument today is similar to those who justify race-based slavery. Like you, you have that. You are a descendant of that. Your theology is a descendant of that same argument. And if you would look at history and just deal with it, you people would see it. You would see it and go like, "Ooh, I sound just like that. I sound just like the segregationist. I sound just like the slaveholder." Absolutely, same historical strand of theology. And unless we deal with it, it it will hear it right while we're sitting in the pews. And that should be offensive to people who love the Lord. Like that, that should, we should, it, it should be a no-go. We got to stop that. That's right. That's, That's right. good. That is good. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the film for, for this time it is so, every time I watch these films, I get angry because I'm like, ah, why is this still so relevant? Right. You know, but sin doesn't remit with time. Right. We know, I think we, our theology makes that very clear. Okay. Sin <laughs> is highly adaptable and racism is most definitely um, a sin, right? And so, uh, and, and so I don't know. I think I love the title. I am not your Negro. I think it's actually apt, very profound, very timely, you know, um, because I think that's kind of the undercurrents, you know, of our podcast is we're making space for our, ourselves, you know, to be able to speak, um, freely to the issues that we're concerned with or interested in. Um, and, and because of that, I think it's, I think it's important from the outset to be like, man, you, you don't own me. Like, you know, and, and, and so, and so you can't back me into a corner. Like, no, no, no. I have to, uh, to speak what is true and what is right and what is good, even if it's hard. And even if it means that I'll suffer, you know, uh, for, for doing that and what that suffering looks like. I don't know. It could be death. 
It could be shedding blood. I haven't shed blood yet, you know, um, or it could just be a few sleepless nights because I've received hate mail, you know, or it, it could be a whole host of things. I don't know what that suffering, you know, um, might look like. But when you think about this film, I mean, I think about the fact that, man, I, I remember a study from the Public uh, Religion Research Institute that said that about 75% of white people's circles don't have any non-white people in it, like meaning they don't have friends, you know, that are, are, are people of color, whether they black, Hispanic, Latino, uh, are Native American, you know, brothers and sisters, they don't have, their circles are very white, you know? And so, um, I think that there might be a temptation, you know, uh, even with this podcast for people to make us their Negro, right? And that, uh, and so for, I'm going to, I have to resist that, you know, but I want people to be able to listen and to learn, you know, but to know that, you don't own me. Only Christ owns me. Um, and, and so, so taking it out of even just the film realm, I'm thinking about that, that aspect. And then I'm also thinking about this Trump, um, regime. Okay. I'm thinking about sessions. You know, I'm thinking about divorce. I'm thinking about Bannon, you know, who is, just, I'm thinking about that. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about the, I, I'm just like, yo, this, this film is so, timely for us, you know, to see that, man, there's nothing under new under the sun. Really, there isn't, you know, and, and just getting, I don't know, I think it, it heartens us for what is to come. And so I'm glad that it came out uh, when it did. Um, and I think if, if nothing else, it will at least hopefully give people an introduction into Baldwin. Um, and that way they can really see that, man, this, this man really was speaking prophetically, honestly, um, in ways that maybe people hadn't appreciated back then. Um, but his word, Baldwin speaks, yo, he speaks. And so, um, so it's timely. So it, it, I just find that it's very timely for, for what we're, we're about to face, um, under, under this administration. So Thanks so much for your insights on this film. I mean, I thought you guys brought a lot to the table. I plan on seeing it again uh, because I, I loved it that much and going to take some notes <laughs> when I go this next time. Uh, so, but we would love to hear uh, from our listeners. If you have seen I Am Not Your Negro, please uh, tweet us at Truth's Table and uh, use the hashtag Truth's Table so that we can see uh, your thoughts on the film and what you took away from it, what you liked, what you disliked. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, do tweet us your thoughts about the film. And thank you so much for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Uh, continue to keep the conversation going among your friends and in the social media sphere. Follow us at Truth's Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth's Table is a collaborative effort between the refer Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. You can learn more about the Reformed African American Network by visiting randnetwork.org. Our producer for the show is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Christina, and Michelle. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. <laughs>